Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yas, yas, yas. How are you? I'm exhausted. How are you? I'm, I'm alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you returned from France yesterday. I did. I come from France. Uh, you were a little jet lagged. Yeah, I still am. And you woke up early today, which yeah. is rare. Uh huh. But probably because your sleep cycles off. Yes, very off. I woke up at five a.m. But uh, well, you. So we'll probably do a video of probably or will will I guess uh, about what you liked and didn't like from Can twenty twenty three. But maybe you want to talk a little bit about it. But before we do that, I want to. Uh, we have more people who have sponsored us oh. on Spotify, mm. so I'd like to say thank you to them. Merci beaucoup. And we continue to get lovely things from people uh, to the PO box, including there's someone who sends us uh, their artwork. Yeah, and they write really nice like letters to accompany them, which I I often think. I wish like museums had, well, they do. You can buy the, get the headphones and people talk, but I think like that's the only way to look at art or for me, at least I would love like every piece I look at for the actual artist to explain it. It adds so much to it. (laughs) You want to contextualize, but what about, uh, for artists that weren't able to do that? Then when you have like the, when you take the tour and then an art historian or, you know, whomever's working at the museum will tell you about the piece. I feel like that's very, very helpful. So but just you, to wander around the Getty, I'm like, I don't understand what I'm looking at. So you don't like the, uh, like Roland Barthes theory about the death of the author. Like once, once it's out there, it doesn't matter what the, uh, creator intended or not, because I think that people can interpret art like whatever it means to them, like, like fine, whatever. But I, I think I've always, even like in like honors English and AP English, how people would like argue about what something means. And it's like, see the, I, I, I think that's weird. I see. I don't, we don't I, know. <laughs> well, no, but I disagree because uh, we all bring something else. And there, there's also, uh, I believe an artist has uh, shades of their subconscious in their creations as well that they might not have been entirely aware of or uh, like for with film for instance and everything that comes together in the making of a film that is uh, speaking to the time that it was made in and the uh, perceptions of the world around them and how when you uh, progress beyond that period how you were able to kind of interpret those actions or those depictions in a way that uh, the people themselves were not aware of. Sure. Sure. But then there are times when it's like someone says, this is about my dog that died drowning in a well. And then people want to argue that it's really about a lost love. No, but that's certainly it, a I true. I mean, things th- like that. But that that's a true. Okay. So true. It's about uh, uh, their dead beloved dog, but it's also speaking to these other uh, components of that emotion. Sure. Instance, I don't think it's that simple. I mean, I, I think there are many ways to look at, art i but i think it's i think it's such an interesting thing to when people get together and want to argue about what something is when it's like well it it really is about how it makes the person feel yes combined with all the other things you're saying plus what the artist may have been able to communicate oftentimes not Mm -hmm. but so i so i just like i don't like talking about like i mean even talking about movies is like people want to argue about it and it's like, it's just my opinion. 
you could feel how you feel about it. Like there, there could be multiple feelings or varying feelings about one thing. But I was just saying that I, the, the point I was trying to make is I like hearing from the person, like what they were thinking. Um, I'm going to do something now that's a quote from the Bible, which I'll never, is a pretty rare, but uh, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face for I know in part, but then shall I know even more as I also am known. What does that mean to you? Seeing the world through a glass darkly where we don't have all the answers. No, we don't. Uh, but anyway, do you want to talk, say anything about Cam? Oh, well, it was pedal to the, the goddamn metal this year. <laughs> oh, my God. Ah, it was very busy. And I, I, I think that uh, partially, you know, of course, I insisted on seeing so much, but also uh, the how how the press schedule, how, how the schedule itself was outlined was also part of the problem. But um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed myself, but it was it definitely it feels like work in ways that Berlin and Venice do not feel like work uh, per se. But however, I did write uh, I saw about 65 films, uh, probably have a couple screeners I'll catch up on this week. Uh, but I wrote close to about half of those. I covered every single uh, competition film. I've written coverage on all of that, uh, plus a, a scattered handful of other things from the sidebar, including the new Scorsese. Uh, yeah, it, it was enjoyable. And overall, I think a good addition of the Cannes Film Festival overall. I was mostly happy with the Jury Selections Awards. I guess we can wait. Uh, you, you want me to talk about that on our video review or... What would you prefer? It's up to you because I'm assuming I'll talk about my top 10 favorites, maybe my least least favorites, and then the awards. I guess it would make sense to keep all that together. Sure. Uh, of course, but you can say what your favorite film was. My favorite film was probably The Zone of Interest, the cool. Jonathan Glazer film. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't... so. They changed, you know, I don't know, I think it was in the 2019 edition where they stopped press seeing the morning press screenings of the day's premieres because all of the one embargoes would be broken by asshole journalists. And also it would end up with that red carpet premiere of the film when the director and the stars were there. Uh, there would be a lot of instances where the press had already like absolutely creamed something. So there would always be there's, there'd be this kind of crestfallen uh, attitude all the time uh, for some filmmakers, and I think it was maybe because of Sean Penn's The Last Face was so savaged, uh, and that was kind of the last straw. So they changed it to where so now the press are seeing a lot of those screenings that we would have seen in the morning at like ten or eleven o'clock at night that are always starting late, wouldn't get done till one two a.m. and then I'd still have to write and then get up at seven a.m. to book tickets. So it was very busy uh so, and and in short i didn't really i don't really have time for can parties nor do i want to go to them because it's you know people uh going along in reckless abandon that i don't have the time to be able to do that but i did on my very last night go to the award ceremony for the queer palm because you know they have a palm dog there's there's always they award the performance the best canine performance in uh 
uh, something across the program that went to the dog and anatomy of a fall. Oh, that's a serious thing it's that they really thing. do. It's, oh, it's wow. a serious thing. But it's also a joke, but it also in my head coincides with they do the queer palm. So anything across the program that had uh, any kind of queer representation, there's a jury that's assigned every year that. Wait, what other? So they have a dog one and a queer one and that's it? And then, the, of course, the regular award ceremony. And you can count the camera door for the best first feature. That seems kind of like in poor taste, no? I don't think they intend the queer one to be that. But in my mind, like I said, it always goes to... Yeah, but like, you only offer three awards, the major one, and then you have one about a dog, which is clearly a joke. No, the, the, of the major... Of the, of the award ceremony, there are many awards. That no, I know, but you have the main ceremony with like serious, uh, like awards given for serious filmmaking and acting. And then you have kind of a silly one about a like dog performance. Mm -hmm. And then you have the queer one. But those are all separate juries, separate event, separate, separate events, if you will. No, I understand. But I, I just think that seems kind of like, I mean, you're putting me in like, like if I'm the queer one, you're putting me kind of in the, it's like, like at the music festival, how they had the main stage with the big acts. And then they had that small stage on the side and you knew like whomever's performing on that side one, they're not at the same well, level. Well, that, that, that's how can, can is very hierarchical and classist anyway. And, but, but you can always read into the program anyway, because there's the main competition, right? And then they have this, the sidebars, like in certain regard and director's fortnight and critics week, like those are all where you end up. If you uh, even are granted the chance sure. to premiere there also speaks volumes to uh, a certain, you know, limitation by not. I've never been, so I'm, I'm sure talking out of turn, but anyway, go on with this. No, queer that's party. Uh, the queer party. So I, uh, act cause I was done by 7 PM that night. So I had a, a dinner, one of the only few I had to sit down for and, uh, went to the queer palm party where John Cameron Mitchell was the president of the jury and presented an award to, I already knew what it was ahead of time because there's already somebody that with loose lips that that talks. Uh, so I knew ahead of time that the winner would be uh, Hirokazu Koreeda for Monster, which is in the main competition. What is funny, though, is the before the festival starts, we know what's in contention for the queer palm, per se. So we know what kind of is going to have queer content in it. Monster was one of two films added at the last minute because nobody realized it had queer content in it until it screened. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So Coriata, who is this very quiet, you've seen a Coriata film, you saw his his French movie, The Truth, with Catherine Deneuve and Juliette Binoche, we reviewed it. Okay. Uh, but he, he's a Japanese filmmaker and has been making films, narrative features since the mid-90s. And uh, I guess he took some convincing to accept it because what does that mean? What is that going to mean for the film to have the stamp that it won the Queer Palm for its release in Japan? It's not really... There, it is a queer film by definition, but it's not also. Uh, it, it's also a story about childhood. It, it reminded me a lot of Lucas Dant's Close. Uh, so those are all the interesting things going on in the back. Meanwhile, John Cameron Mitchell is doing this thing where he is being the star of this show, and I think must have been high out of his mind. Kept talking about pots, trying to entertain the audience. We didn't need any of that. And then, of course, the when gave a speech that I didn't think was very eloquent. Then Coreta is announced, comes upon the stage, and John Cameron Mitchell is screaming in his face, he's a fucking human being. This, we should all learn from him. And it's like, okay. Then goes on about how he 
The first time he encountered a film of Corrieta's was 1998's Afterlife. He was the only person in this theater that uh, it had no air conditioning. He took off all his clothes because he was sweating. So he was naked watching this Corrieta film and oh, how it was a transformative experience. It just, it just wanted somebody to be like, shut the fuck up. And then he had the gall to perform a song in Japanese from that film. Afterlife. Oh, wow. No, nobody needed that. Uh, I was just very, it just felt very white, gay, American uh, person be, not reading the room is how it felt. And I was actually very disappointed. I don't know, because he's, you know, besides a filmmaker, a notable DJ, uh, I was just, yeah, I was not impressed with that. Hmm. Well, I guess you'll have more to say in the uh, upcoming video. But moving on, you've missed two episodes of Drag Race. Yeah. We've stopped talking about Drag Race uh, mainly because it just feels exhausting, and and I'm not that interested in the new season. Is an all star season, and I just you've already told me that you refuse to rewatch those episodes. Oh, did I say that? You said that you wouldn't be interested. In, well, refuse. You wouldn't be interested in watching them again. No, I didn't think they were that great to begin with. I definitely don't want to rewatch them. So you can catch it. I mean, you can watch them, but I don't need to. Um, I just don't think the cast is that interesting. Half of them feel like filler. Um, but anyway, I mentioned that because then I thought, oh, I've never seen Dragula. Have you seen Dragula? No. So then... Uh, part of some streaming subscription we have it's uh, available online so i watched their version of all stars mm -hmm. um they have more than one i think but this one or maybe not i don't know i don't know anything about dragula except uh it's like drag race but it's hosted by the boulet brothers who are more like spooky ooky drag mm -hmm. and their all stars was called titans so like dragula titans and this was filmed or dropped last year but I was very surprised. The quality of it is not as good as Drag Race, um, not surprisingly, but I was surprised at how, first of all, the judging is, uh, they're very nice because they really respect people's artistry. Sure. So they're kind of not, they're trying to be less critical of the aspects of someone's drag that are like crunchy. Well, no, just like if this is your style of drag, then that's what you present. And right. So we like that. That's it's just like, art. how do you interpret that into the challenge versus like on Drag Race, Michelle wanting people to be entirely different characters. Mm -hmm. And it's like, bitch, this is not the kind of drag I do. Why would I switch up today just for you? So I really liked their approach on that. And I really like that it shows the queens. There's far less drama and more about them like constructing garments and then we spend more time with them presenting their garments. And the, but the main thing is that these people on this show are so creative. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny how on Drag Race, someone comes out with something, you know, like Jimbo is like iconic looks. And it's like, I mean, Jimbo looks like his drag looks like a five-year-old kid doing dress up compared to some of the shit these people on Dragula are doing. Sure. And they're like making half that shit on the spot. Mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing yes because rupaul's drag race no longer has space for that kind of creativity it's, well it's production these people these queens are supposed to come uh with looks that from designers ahead of time like all of that shit's lined up nothing is spontaneous anymore really yeah i, I mean the, now to you know the edit so not only is the production not as great on dragula but the editing is 
it's very slow and 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 i and i guess i'm a, a victim of modern sort of programming where everything's kind of like spastic and quick and so i do i guess prefer that like i want us to get to the point <laughs> which is ironic because i usually don't get to the point but um yeah but all that saying that i probably would watch the newest season of dragula because i'm assuming they get better as time goes on um i didn't finish titans though i only watched like four episodes but I, I i was more impressed than i thought i would be in titans like t-i-t-a-n-s yes okay when you initially said it my mind went to like tight titans like tighten the oh tighten the tighten screw the tighten the screw um, <laughs> that and the hatches tighten the screw and then i also finished watching the miss pat show like it's still ongoing but all the episodes that have been released it's um, three seasons so far it's three seasons but i think they split up season three into two parts so okay. it's only like 10 episodes that are available now but i have to say you've never seen a situation comedy about a family like this and i you know it's on bt plus mm -hmm. so they have carte blanche to do whatever so it's very adult mm -hmm. i mean any anything you can think of the only thing i don't think this they I, I think there is a joke about bestiality but no one's actually doing it but other than that anything you can think of well the the episode one of the episodes i watched before i left was she's like i had an abortion the other day like what oh that's not even i mean <laughs> it's like incest and drugs and <laughs> the the oldest son is like has to become a stripper to make money and then at one point he he's dating this bisexual woman and you know his his half sister that is a lesbian mm -hmm. so he ends up going to a threesome with this lady like his girlfriend the girl he's date, the lady he's dating is hosting a threesome so mm -hmm. he comes and the other person is his sister <laughs> oh well oh my god but i do have to say so denise played by tammy roman mm -hmm. over like watching all the episodes back to back she really is quite the actor like she i, I think she's my favorite part really she's pretty funny yeah season one was a little crunchy but yeah she gets so much better and her character like I, i'm assuming because people probably liked her she became more integral into the show sure yeah and then I think they um, benefit from the children. There are four children. The oldest lesbian daughter, I don't think is the greatest actor, but the other three, I think, really do elevate the show. And the husband, I think, oh my God, there's so much. <laughs> he finds out his dad, who's played by Richard Lawson, Beyonce's stepdaddy, is like not really his dad. And that's, a, I probably cried like at least every other episode. Wow but unfortunately i think ms pat she for sure she's not a good actor no well she point, does her thing and that's that's her thing you know but and it doesn't get better over the <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of surprising because tammy roman definitely yeah but tammy roman's more of an actor ms pat's a personality but even like her because every episode starts with her doing like a, mm -hmm. like a one minute set even that's crunchy like the jokes are funny but it sounds like she's trying to do it's like scripted stand-up so it feels very 
Like, well, that's how Seinfeld would start. His oh, episodes. did it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I still uh, would recommend it um, just because you've never seen these topics handled in this format and it's kind of refreshing. Um, they get some really cool cameos in like Marla Gibbs, Tommy David. Oh my God, Tommy Davidson. Uh, he's in two episodes and he plays like their cousin who's kind of like Mary Poppins. Like he's like a mystical creature. Mm-hmm. I thought that was excellent. But anyway, enough about um, this. Pat. Speaking of Richard Lawson, he had, I happen to know, had a a private event premiere of a film he directed at Cannes oh. uh, called Black Terror. It's a horror film? It is a adaptation of the Richard Wesley play um, that I've never seen. Uh, I would have to read what it's about because I'm not sure what the narrative is, but I know that he wrote it um, like he wrote the um, a couple of Sidney Poitier films. You're familiar with him in some capacity for sure. Well, moving on to films released, we didn't cover about my father. Uh, yeah, there's a lot we didn't cover this week since I was gone, but uh, uh, this looks like a terrible comedy starring Robert De Niro as somebody's grandpa that's coming back. I, I saw snippets of previews, but I don't know what it's about, but it's directed by Laura Teruso. Kandahar. Okay, so I watched this while I was at Cannes, and you were supposed to watch it too, but you didn't finish it because we were going to review it. But I did see this, and I did not like it. Well, I didn't finish it because I think the link I was provided expired while I was watching it. So I only watched the first 20 minutes, and it was pretty dull. So I didn't. It's very dull. It it just seemed like your standard like thriller. Gerard Butler film directed by Rick Roman Waugh. It just felt very dry. It was yeah. very dry. It was a struggle to get through, especially in that environment. The Machine. Uh, Peter Atencio directs this film. I know Mark Hamill has a, uh, I forget what it's about, but he it, it's a comedy. Mark Hamill has a supporting role. You Hurt My Feelings. Uh, I did see this out of Sundance this past year. Julia Louis-Dreyfus stars. Uh, it's cute ish and interesting it's a nicole holof center film uh julie louis dreyfus plays the successful author and she happens to overhear her husband by accident say that he can't stand her new novel that she's have tro- having trouble getting published and then she doesn't quite sure now how to handle that mm, blood and gold uh this is a world war ii thriller about a german looking for his child and an ss man looking for some kind of Nazi treasure. Uh, it's a Netflix release directed by Peter Thar- Thorwarth. Willow the Wisp. I wish we had, it's very short. I, I think I still, I will probably try to make you watch this at some point. It's a Portuguese film director that I really like, Joao Pedro Rodriguez. Uh, I saw this out of Cannes Directors Fortnight last year, so exactly a year ago. Very interesting film about colonialism, Belgian history. It's a gay romance musical uh there it's very sexually graphic there are so many things going on in this like 80 minute running time but i think that you would be interested lastly the wrath of becky this is a sequel to becky which we did review during the pandemic uh about that uh little girl named becky and there's a home invasion and uh, her mom black yeah her mom she's a white girl yeah mm -hmm. yeah i remember uh directed by matt angel and suzanne coot well that's oh that's right because kevin james plays like a white supremacist one of the uh infiltrators yeah yeah Uh, so that came out i'm sure if i I had been here i'm sure we would watch yeah I, i would be interested in that okay 
projects of interest juror number two clint eastwood has finally announced that he's only making one more film so that is cause for celebration maybe because there have been a lot of bad ones recently uh but he's got an all-star cast for his latest including Kiefer sutherland nicholas holt tony collette and uh i think i'm missing somebody else but that that could be interesting um yeah and there are only two movies for fun. Spy Game. There are movies I watched on the plane coming back. Uh, yeah, Spy Game. I remember we had this on VHS and my my dad hated this movie, which is probably why I never watched it. So I watched Spy Game with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. And it was directed by Tony Scott. And it is very much a 2001 film. Charlotte Rampling has a very brief role, which is the only reason I'd, you can fast forward to her one scene. Uh there, there, there's a countdown mechanism where Redford is this CIA agent. He's on his last day. He's retiring that day. And then he's roped into some situation where an old um, uh, agent he trained, Brad Pitt, has been uh, caught in some operation in this Chinese prison. And the Chinese are going to kill him in 24 hours. And the basically, the agency is looking for a reason to let him go, let him be killed. So they're interviewing Robert Redford and recording it in this ridiculous fashion. And every so often, somebody should make a compilation of the moments where the screen goes black and white and it shows like a countdown of how much is left. And the shots they get of Redford look so awkward and (laughs) stupid. And then there are all these clips of Brad Pitt being abused in this Chinese prison that are terrible. And then there are all these flashbacks to when they both met initially in Vietnam and then West Beirut in the 80s. Brad Pitt's hair looks like it was shaved off a Ken doll and pasted on his head. Oh, I it is not good. Uh, and you also watched French Fried Vacation, which I think that's the English language title of I think it's Les Bronzes. Uh, it's a Patrice Leconte film. It was a big hit. Patrice O'Neill. Patrice, Patrice he, Russian. Because he directed a sequel, and then in the 2000s, I think, a third one. Uh, I hated this movie. I think it speaks to a certain time of in place of like French comedy. That said, there are a lot of very notable people, including Josiane Belasco, who I barely read. I, I, I kept wonder, wondering where she was going to pop up, and she was in front of me the whole time. But it's about this group of French people that go to like this African village named Ghana Swanda. It has a it has an energy that's a lot like something like Greece from the same time period. I hated it. I didn't think anything was funny. It is Michel Blanc plays this nebbish, nerdy little man that everybody's demeaning. Uh, yeah, there's a not... French fried vacation part two. Yeah, as I said, there's a trilogy. Oh, a trilogy. Okay. Mm-hmm. The third one's in like 2006. But Patrice Leconte directed a lot of very serious films. I think his maybe his biggest is stars Vanessa Paradis, The Girl on the Bridge from uh, 1999. I, I believe he's dead now. But yeah, I this is a film I've known about for a long time, knowing it was a, a big French com- comedy hit in the 70s. But I did not like this movie. Mm, let's take a break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary section. Kenneth Anger died. 
Uh-huh. He's a filmmaker. Oh yeah, he's a that's an he's a very iconic filmmaker, of course. For I haven't seen any of his films though. Uh well, the short films. Uh I have? No, I guess not. You've never seen Scorpio Rising? No. But I did for Halloween uh, make myself a Scorpio Rising jacket and we went out on the town. That was god, that was probably almost a decade ago now, but yeah, he was 96 I believe, but uh, uh an important filmmaker for sure. Well, he looks like a very colorful uh, person. Mm-hmm. He died uh, at the age of 96. And then, of course, Tina Turner died this past week. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we knew was coming. In the Tina Turner doc, she revealed that she had pretty serious health issues. Yeah. And then she did make it. There's the musical about her life on Broadway, and she didn't make it out to that. But it was clear that, like, that was quite the track. So. Yeah. You know, but her, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like she's been a big part of some, like everyone's lives mm-hmm. for a long time, <laughs> for a long time. And I, uh, yeah. Well, cause you said you wanted to, uh, kind of in tribute review what's love got to do with it, but and then I decided not to, yeah. because in the documentary, she talked about sort of not wanting that story to define her life because she didn't let it define her. And I thought, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, she wasn't just a battered woman. Yeah. I mean, she was so much more than that. Yeah. And I I think she represents strength and, and such an elegant, like beautiful woman. And also when she came back in the eighties with those big hits, that lady was in her Mm forties. So I think it's like an inspiration, Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, it's never too late to take control, but yeah, I, I, I remember just being really captivated by her. And of course the songs, what's love got to do with it in private dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, those are still such great songs. But my relationship with her became, so she had an album called wildest dreams, which con- so we know like Oprah was like the biggest Tina Turner fan and she would have her on her show quite often. But then I don't know if you remember Oprah used to have a segment called wildest dreams where she would, mm-hmm. And that was kind of based off of that. And um, I had that album. And there are a couple of songs on there that I associate with some pretty like bad memories, but but then they make me feel. Yeah, same actually. Yeah, so. (laughs) Not from that album, but uh, that one she did in the late 90s was a very tumultuous time for me. But I'm, you know, the heartache is over. I, I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean. Uh, River Deep Mountain High, though, is my favorite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty yeah. pretty damn. But I feel like I could talk high. a lot about um, her. But no, I thought you were, so not what's love got to do with, but her performance as Auntie Entity in uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome would be fun, too. But I've seen that, and did, I don't know that I thought, like, did I love that movie? It's I don't. Fine. I don't think I did. <laughs> well, maybe. We'll see. Um but really it's the music and mm-hmm. her career outside of the United States was like beyond big. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure for a lot of people in the United States, they don't re- you know recognize how huge she was, but yeah, she's a huge, huge, huge star. But moving on to our secret film, uh, this one was a doozy. Which is your selection. Because we did a poll, we had a live review a few weeks ago 
where the theme was Lynn Whitfield because I mistakenly thought that it was her birthday, but I was very off. But <laughs> some of the selections from the selections, the film, uh, the Josephine Baker story was chosen. But one of the options was the 2012 musical drama film, Mama, I Want to Sing. <laughs> and just from the poster art and the cast, I was looking forward to watching this film. Mm-hmm. And then you bought it. Um, it is not what I was hoping for at all. No. Um, the title could have been, I want to be a singer, do. I don't even think, <laughs> well, we need to talk about it because I don't even really think the title makes sense. <laughs> uh, no, because it's really a, a mother and it is, it's like a mother daughter. It's like a family drama. It's a family drama competition story. <laughs> it, you, you know, well, here. It's based on an off Broadway play in this. Uh, was directed by Charles Randolph Wright. I think it wasn't intended to, but was released direct to DVD in this country in 2012. Wow. And um, he's since gone on to do mostly television, including he directed Mrs. Whitfield in eight episodes of Greenleaf. Well, I was going to say, this film kind of feels like the the precursor to a show like Greenleaf, sure. but we can get into it. Anyway, the premise on IMDb says... A preacher's daughter, Amara, sings in the church choir before being discovered by a well-established musician. Soon she rises to international fame as a pop singer. So that description is misleading because you would think the entire film leads up to her. So like a la Glitter or maybe something like Double Platinum with Diana Ross and Brandy. No, that that synopsis I read, all that happens in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. Also, her name is not Amara. It's Doris. Amara is the stage name they give her. So Sierra is Amara, but her character's name is Doris, and then her stage name is Amara. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that description happens in the first 10 minutes. The film is really about, oh my God, it's like, it's not, I really didn't like this movie. I thought it was terrible. It's terrible. It looks bad. Like the cinematography's horrible. The lighting's horrible. The audio's horrible. The, uh, like a movie called Mama, I Want to Sing. The music is atrocious. And then, of course, when you think Sierra, the last thing you think is vocalist, right? Sure. And then I'm, and and it seems like no one who was part of the making of this film also thought of her as a singer because really, <laughs> she she sings like maybe we hear her singing a few times, but the majority of the music in the film is not her voice. No, it's other people singing, including the younger version of Sierra's character. So her as a younger girl is played by a different actor, and that little girl can sing so we hear more of her singing than sierra but yeah this is a big big thumbs down uh it was very hard to sit through because it's not melodrama it's just like overly because <laughs> to me melodrama means like over the top soap opera ish sure like you know I mean, this isn't like a Tyler Perry film where it's kind of so ridiculous. You kind of chuckle, and this movie's taking itself very seriously. Well, it's initially <laughs> in it's, earnest. It's almost like it's, it's supposed to be a star is born, except between a mother and daughter. Uh, but then it really loses sight of that too, because there, there are all these scenes where uh, the father dies, and then when Amara grows up, her mother has become this very famous preacher named Doctor Winter on this network called the the is it Revelation media or whatever and she's we, we keep being told that she's in constant 
she might be about to lose her her throne, right? And then that keeps not happening. I, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, you know, oh God, it's just not even fun to talk about. So the basic story is what, I mean, basically what you said is that Sierra is a preacher's kid and her dad dies on the pulpit and you see it coming from a mile away. Yeah. And it happens like very, like in the first five minutes that the dad dies in the pulpit. But as like the sermon he was giving right before he died was about following the like like whatever god put inside of you that dream you need to follow that so of course sierra's like well my dream's to be a singer so i'm, I'm gonna do it even though my mom doesn't want me to the plot point that made no sense to me is so the dad dies and then the mom in parallel with the daughter they both become very famous yes but then billy zane is in the movie playing like a record label owner slash songwriter uh-huh. and he's probably the only camp part of the film yeah because he's playing it how would you describe his performance and character ott he is being over the top but also there are other moments where it seems like he's forgotten how to act or doesn't care it's definitely a choice but But the part that confused me so much is the timeline of when Sierra becomes famous because it seems like they're making her seem like she's on the level of like a Beyonce. I mean, like, like she's huge. But then at that moment we're also being told like it's her first performance or well, her debut i don't understand because there's, there's a scene in 2002 when that's when we are introduced to sierra billy zane and, and sierra yeah and then we're, she's recording and then what's his name hill harper is her manager is her manager out of nowhere and his girlfriend who's what's her name that's dead uh, kim porter p diddy's baby mom. uh so and then it, it skips ahead to now which would have been ostensibly seven years like later 2010 well they say seven years <laughs> okay. later so then it took seven years for her to pop off for her to pop off and then uh, yeah anyway that timeline but then also so then you're so now she's a super big pop star but then her mother is like the td jakes of her revelation network and they're performing at the same convention and then they're at the same convention but anyway the so mama i want to sing is stupid because she's been done been singing yeah like and she's not asking her mom's permission she's already a huge star there's no turning back so but then she has a brother and i knew we were in trouble with this film from the opening because the opening of the film is this little boy in black and white walking through like what looks like new york Mm -hmm. taking pictures and this little boy's acting i mean he can't even pretend to take photos well so i knew we were in trouble but that turns out to be sierra's brother Uh and now as a grown-up his dream is to be a photojournalist but of course he's relegated to i guess being the personal photographer of his sister and mother like he gets and mother he gets called away on both their projects and the the real gag is that whenever we see him take photos it looks like it, it, it's almost like the eyes of Laura Mars. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, you clearly don't know what you're doing. And then when we see samples of his work, these are not good photographs. <laughs> no, but so then another plot. So then there's contention between the mom and the daughter that feels so flat because you both are successful. Well, she, so what is the point? It's like, mama, I want to sing, but the, Lynn Whitfield, Dr. Lillian Winter, is mad about her daughter's dressing, how she's being styled on on camera. Yeah, that's a good point. Lynn Whitfield, the mom, doesn't seem to have an issue with her daughter singing. She comments most often about how her daughter basically looks like a prostitute, right. which she doesn't. Which she doesn't also. Uh... <laughs> yeah, Sierra looks like some of those outfits look like she could go to church in she those. She could have been in church, yeah. Yeah, so I was very confused by that. Um, I, I I can't say enough how terrible the music is. Yeah. 
the gospel stuff is like standards like you know uh probably in the public domain but then like the poppy stuff specifically like the songs that made sierra a huge star are terrible yeah like beyond terrible um and then uh as lynn whitfield's dad ben vereen shows up at the same convention they're in new orleans at a convention he's actually the best part of the film i think his performance seems like the natural most, yeah the, the, like the most natural and appropriate lynn whitfield is obviously i think she's fine she's fu- like yeah she does the best she can with the material but the writing is horrible it is especially her preaching like whoever wrote this she's preaching uh, <laughs> about the, these women that look like hoes to a group of women that look like hoes and why would these hoes be in the front row of like a gospel <laughs> motivational preacher lady first lady speaker woman and their men that they're with are going in on the clapping and cheering that's <laughs> yeah why would you bring first of all why would these men want to go see lynn first lady preacher woman speaker lynn whitfield and then bring some hoes with and where and lynn whitfield in that scene is wearing this marlena dietrich type tux oh sparkly if, bejeweled if, tux. if you mix marlena dietrich with the planter's peanut man that's how little <laughs> that's how lynn whitfield looks <laughs> oh but she looks beautiful she does she's, she's for, stunning you know for how bad the cinematography is lynn whitfield still manages to look really oh good. you know lynn whitfield is stunning because the cinematography and the lighting are horrible. They're atrocious. Horrible. And, but she still looks good. And she looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Hair laid, face beautiful. Her outfits are really nice. Yeah. Yeah. They also make her seem like she's kind of like a corrupt. They, they, this really feels like it needed to be a TV series like Greenleaf because they're doing way too many things because I didn't even finish. So the brother who's a photographer, he gets an opportunity to be like a military photographer. So he's going to Baghdad. Yeah. But, and then, so he has to go through basic training. When he gets to Baghdad, his ass immediately gets kidnapped by some insurgents or something. Uh So now, um, this is like the final act of the film. So Sierra and Lynn Whitfield are on TV crying about bringing my brother back home. Mm -hmm. We can get to when they find out he's died, but he dies and then there's a funeral. And then finally at the funeral, it would seem mother and daughter might get along but that's not i mean we don't know that we don't know that no so this entire story does like it 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 gives us nothing there's no arc because both of the main characters lynn whitfield and sierra they find success very early on in the story and they maintain that throughout and then the brother just gets killed and it seems to not bring them together so what was the point of that well and then both of them are uh you know have been competing kind of with each other that isn't really we haven't really fostered that kind of resentment that should that is there between them and then both of them are treated to rivals in their own particular domains like there's this other girl nicole that we have to talk about that billy zane's trying to bring up and then uh lynn whitfield's network uh, some lady accidentally gets some screen time. And they're like, we want to make her the star. Well, here, let me get through these notes because I don't want to have to take another break on this movie. But, okay, so the timing. When we meet little Sierra, uh-huh. how old does that girl look? She's like 12, 13. And she, so of course we're like, well, this has to be young Sierra. This girl does not look like she would grow up to be Sierra. No. So that was distracting. like Jordan Sparks. Yeah. Then we the the transitions and the editing in this movie are so harsh because we see this little 12 13 year old girl singing at her dad's funeral and then immediately we cut to greenwich village 
seven years later. Greenwich Village, where fucking Sierra and Patti LaBelle are performing side by side. Singing the most terrible song that I couldn't even tell you what genre it was. They are on stage still singing. The song is going on and Patti LaBelle like, takes the mic away from her face and be like, honey, baby, I just want to talk about how proud I am of you. <laughs> so, so, well, hold on. Some people might, uh, might know this reference I'm about to say, but there's that interview where someone asks Mariah Carey would she ever do a song with J-Lo? And then Mariah goes, well, I don't, I can't even think what that would sound like. Uh-huh. It would sound like Sierra and Patti LaBelle in this movie singing. Yeah. It, it just made no sense. Yeah. It made no sense. But that is Patti's voice. Yeah, it, it is Patti's voice and it is Sierra singing, but it, it's just a horrible song. It's horrible anyway, because they put Patti in the background. But, but, but then we're told seven years later, but then Sierra says she's still in high school. Yeah, she's 17. So that means that the girl was only 10? Because that girl does not look 10. That's true, yeah. Okay. And then Sierra does not look like she's in high school. She looks like she's in her 20s. She does. But so then we go from that where she's being told like... Then we see her in this nightclub with Patti LaBelle. Don't know what kind of club this is that you have Patti LaBelle and Sierra singing a whack-ass gospel pop song. I don't know what it was. They always look like they're on the same stage, though, and like it's the opening moments of David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Yes, every performance looks like they only had one stage set up and they just changed the curtain. Mm -hmm. Then, again, another hard transition, we end up in Hollywood. Like immediately we transition to Hollywood and we know that because we have, I don't know, I don't, if it was B-roll, it looks more like stock footage of like Hollywood. It looked like Bravo. And we see that her manager's Hill Harper. She's like kind of doing the thing. And that's when we meet Billy Zane. And we're told that his character is like a handful. Uh-huh. And when we meet him, he delivers. Yeah. Okay. So then we see Sierra in the sound booth with billy zane and he starts singing oh my god he tries so it's so meta that billy zane is trying to teach sierra to sing because it doesn't matter who would have been in that booth sierra cannot sing and then he's singing to her trying to act like he's singing like soul music and at one point he even says you've got to inject some serious soul into this yep and then this bitch starts singing about collard greens macaroni and cheese black eyed peas ham hogs I can't believe that, but the, 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 <laughs> they go back and forth. They volley on that. And which is really awkward. And Billy Zane sounds more soulful than Sierra. He does. And his falsetto was not the worst, uh, but it, it's cringy, but we see that. So then we go from the 2002 to present day, like you mentioned. So that was very confusing. Like, okay, so she's recording with this big time guy and it took nine years for her to pop off but then we see that this performance at the radio one event is um like a super big deal for her i just think the story makes no sense like it's not calibrating where we are in this person's career to then call it mama i want to sing but anyway sierra gets up there and does this upbeat performance looking i mean the song is terrible the staging the choreography is terrible and then, like you mentioned, her mom is also at that same convention giving one of her motivational speeches. Uh-huh. And the mom's, comp- Lynn is saying Sierra looks like a prostitute, which well, she, she doesn't. She, and she, but she was made to change at the last minute because Billy Zane flexes with a really awkward scene. Yeah, that is really stupid. But he's like, now she's really going to perform because she's angry. 
But then Sierra, so Sierra sings the one song she's supposed to sing, and then she goes rogue and does this acapella version of some slow song. And the lyric is, right now I'm finding my voice, which is so, because she has no voice. But you know what it made me think of? The episode of Got To Be Real, when Tony Braxton is talking about Mary J. Blige, and she goes, isn't it ironic that you sing about struggling while actually struggling? <laughs> That's how Sierra Sound is singing right now. I'm finding my voice. Uh -huh. <laughs> See, this is where we're looping this back to the beginning of this conversation about death of the author, because most certainly this was not an intention, but now we're reading uh, sure. meta levels of analysis sure. into Mama, I Want to Sing. You're right. Yes. I'm not refuting that. But so then at the same Radio 1 thing, Sierra's interviewing with this woman named Lola, this Asian, I guess, like entertainment reporter who's real problematic. She is, and she comes back. She's talking to her, like she's trying to talk to her, like that clip of Ross Matthews talking to Beyonce about being ghetto. Like yeah. that's how Lola's acting. And then Sierra's saying, like, I sing all types of music, jazz, uh, blah, 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 heavy metal. And then Lola goes, heavy metal? Isn't that satanic? <laughs> yeah. The writing in this is horrible it's really bad lola comes back for an online uh, for an online for a television interview an interview and the way those two are leaning into each other it's like this is not how no know, it was so look. terrible but but before that uh in interview at the same radio one performance sierra is sitting in the back and she's supposed to go do another interview and her publicist walks in and tells her that you can't leave until you get your makeup retouched or touched up because you look like Britney Paris and Lindsay after an all-nighter. Which she does not at But she all. doesn't look at all like she's not fresh. No. The way they keep referring to how Sierra looks is crazy. Yes, I agree. She looks very put together, mm -hmm. um, does not look like a prostitute. No. Nope. I don't understand <laughs> what's happening. Um, I think it's funny that the soundtrack, while the songs are terrible, that it's padded with people who can actually sing. Mm -hmm. And even Sierra is, there are like three moments where we see her singing, but it's the voice of the younger girl. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't even have Sierra singing her own songs. Do you like, so the film, so when this was made, I think they probably shot in like 2010, how they're trying to grapple with uh, the advent of streaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't quite know how to, they know that it probably needs to be mentioned, but uh, they don't really know how to because at one point, uh, Linwood feels like, oh, the streaming, it was a hit. We had 50,000 <laughs> Well, and then the problem is, I mean, they make the mistake of showing the computer screen because we get a shot of like a travel website yeah. that like someone's using to book a flight. And it's like, why would you do that? No. Don't like, don't you know in five years it's going to look crazy? Um Oh, God, I didn't want to have to take another break, but oh. here we are. Hold on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Getting back to the brother, there are like three or four moments where we see him taking photographs 
looking like he doesn't know how to hold a camera yeah. and then they make the mistake of showing us the photograph he took yeah. for instance there's um <laughs> no one likes lynn whitfield no one wants to be around her her two children or nor her dad want to be around her yeah yeah um because she's just like this preachy hypocritical person and but the two children show up to breakfast and they get into an argument but then the brother's like i have to take a picture and they show us the picture and it's like the worst angle possible <laughs> it they couldn't they couldn't take the time to snap a good picture of these two ladies and then speaking of the cinematography we get like uh like a sh like a like a lingering shot of the downtown los angeles skyline to show we're in hollywood and they chose like the smoggiest day <laughs> yeah the film just looks so bad and then it's like and then you deliberately choose bad shots yeah there's a you could wait for it to be in I, I don't know why it had to be so rushed i guess but they did it lynn has a photo shoot with her son where she's wearing that tool yes oh my god and he's like on the top of some watchtower uh why and they're screaming at each other because she's getting impatient but there are ton there's no way he could have gotten a good shot because there are people standing and staring in the background and then this like tool this this bag full of tools on the ground right near her it's it it is the most ridiculous staged. thing and then her character is being so annoying lynn's like every speech like like every line of, like whenever she has like a monologue or she's giving one of those like preacher speeches it feels like word soup yeah mm -hmm. like this is not <laughs> i don't know what's happening okay there are some interesting cameos like paris bennett is in it she was on american oh, yeah. idol over a decade ago and i believe her grandmother is in the minnesota-based group sounds of blackness but anyway there's a scene where Paris Bennett is on Lynn Whitfield's TV show because Lynn Whitfield's character, like you mentioned, started this television network and then she has a talk show, variety show kind of thing. So Paris Bennett is singing and she can sing. She's a very talented singer. And then we get, while she's singing, we get Sierra watching from home on a stationary bike. Uh-huh, with a headband on. <laughs> Which I also thought was meta. Like she's watching this woman who can actually sing. And then... Lynn Whitfield's like, you're the kind of, she basically on live TV says like, you're my daughter now. Yeah. I'm adopting you. Yeah. And then Sierra gets mad and turns off. The TV. <laughs> <laughs> but at first, like Sierra's reaction to watching this girl, like she's like smiling and it's like, oh, this is lovely. <laughs> oh my God. Then there's another plot. Like, again, this was meant to be like a series, like a melodramatic soap opera series because Lynn Whitfield's character has an assistant, this younger white woman, who mm -hmm. we see challenging her at a few points, basically saying she's kind of a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. And then out of the blue, because we're told that Lynn Whitfield's show might be picked up for syndication by a larger network. Yeah. And then just out of the blue, we're told, oh, actually, they prefer your assistant's show. Yeah. And, and with her, we can uh, get access to 20 more countries. But why or how that was? Uh... Well, they just say like, oh, it, it it's like a younger, we can reach like a younger Christian. It Like the writing's so terrible. Uh -huh. The, so now, like, like, again, they're taking us everywhere because they're also maybe trying to insinuate that Sierra's character is kind of like 
plateaued and now mm-hmm. there's new blood coming so yeah. billy zane has this new artist named nicole nicole child when we see nicole i don't know what you thought she looked like but i thought if you took donatella versace and put a brunette updo on her that lady's jarring looking J- she's better looking than donatella maybe if you mix donatella with gina gershon that, that uh, well the who point played of- her Oh, that's right. She played Donatella, yeah. The point of this Nicole person is she's supposed to be like an ingenue, like the new fresh thing. That lady fully looked like she was in her 40s. She looked and she dressed, <laughs> she's dressed. She's dressed in a prom dress made of fish scales. No, you know what like. she's dressed like? That mo- that Netflix movie with Jennifer Aniston where she's like a beauty pageant winner and now her daughter's like that chubby girl. Dumplin? Dumplin. Okay. And you know how Jennifer Aniston dresses to go to the pageants? Sure. That's how this lady looks. Yeah. Like yeah. like a well put together 50 year old. Yeah. <laughs> but she's like the new hot young like she's supposed to be like Ariana Grande in 2011. <laughs> I don't so then they try to make them do a duet like uh I don't know if they're trying to do like a Monica Brandy thing but uh, that do oh maybe that was that duet was a full ass mess yes and then when they do the duet billy zane is in the room yelling at them uh-huh oh my god it's terrible it's terrible and i know this is not funny but when the brother gets kidnapped in baghdad <laughs> watching uh lit at sierra on tv asking for his return just felt so crunchy because <laughs> it's bad it's it's hokum lynn's character always has a pearl necklace on she certainly does yeah <laughs> She is eleganza. Mm-hmm. Again, this is not funny, but when the military comes to the house to tell Lynn uh-huh. her son's dead, wow. She's, like, she's acting he- a plum fool. I don't want to hear that. She is acting a plum fool. And then the juxtaposition of her being very dramatic with Sierra forcing herself to cry <laughs> is really uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. Then at the funeral, they have this woman singing. Mm-hmm who <laughs> that hair was bad also uh and she's singing some gospel song and, and trying to go in they look like they plucked her from like she worked at pizza hut and they just snatched her and told her sing and this film there could be a drinking game every time someone hits one of those whistle register high notes uh-huh. like those mini ripper tin mariah yeah. carey notes and Shawnee's can oh and uh Shantae Moore can also do it. We don't want to forget her. But anyway, well, many people can do it. But anyway, like you could have a drinking game every time someone does that. Like that's the mark of a talented singer. It's not because <laughs> it's, uh, it's annoying. Because yeah. like why at this funeral why is this it? Pizza Hut employee like screeching? <laughs> This Pizza Hut employee who's wearing a dress with hair color and skin tone where she looks kind of like Jennifer Aniston, like a big piece of bread. Yeah, she's all one color, like taupe. Like she, yep. She's a taupe nightmare. You, you are uh, the top of my creme brulee. Uh, and then they both mother and daughter see Luke, the brother. Is that his name, Luke? Oh, my God. The <laughs> final scene is, yeah, Lynn and Sierra standing at the funeral watching this taupe nightmare, like a <laughs> holler. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, we see the dead brother, son, and and Sierra says to her mom, do you see him? And the mom goes, yes. And then he takes a picture of them. And then he takes a picture of them. And then we go to the credits. Oh, we also have to laugh because at one point, Sierra's having nightmares after her brother's been uh, kidnapped. And she's 
she's saying is it to her agent where she's like i keep seeing him uh like taking pictures of these little middle eastern looking children uh and it's shot in a way that suggests that it's surreal and then that is the same footage they use in the news story yeah (laughs) on the news i don't know i don't even know if i could say this movie would be fun to watch with people and alcohol because it's taking itself very seriously. You know what it needs to be enjoyable is a mystery science theater sound. It needs a, a track attached to it. Or what could really send this is if someone like dubs it. Someone needs to, someone out there, and I would love to be a part of it. Maybe I could do the brother's somewhere, voice. Somewhere out there, Fievel. Someone needs to redub this movie and change all the lyrics yeah because it's yeah it 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 was hard to sit through i was very disappointed it was terribly disappointing and there's an only there's a reason where why it's not available on streaming and i had to buy it for you on dvd for you to see it what would you give this film a 0.5 the lowest you can give i would give it one out of five because i do think lynn woodfield and ben vereen are not i mean they definitely elevate the project. Like they're not bad actors. They're not at all. So it's not a port. I mean, to me, point five is like everyone in it is shit. And Ben Vereen and Lynn Woodfield are far from shit. It's just this. I, it's it's still a point five for me because it's still so painful to sit through. It's it's so. It's just really bad storytelling. It's, a, it's so ramshackle. It's, I, I mean, even as a play, I I feel like what like watching this on stage would have been worse. Uh, yeah, but to me, this is this is demeaning to somebody of Ms. Whitfield's caliber. But, you know, well, that's all I have for Mama. I want to sing. And there's no comma in that. So it's Mama. Be, I want to sing be, be, because you want to put a comma and an exclamation point th- throughout that statement. But there is none. So Mama, I want to sing. I want to be a singer, do. But I think for the podcast, I'm going to put a comma and an excla- exclamation point. I'm going to be grammatically correct, even if the film cannot. Anyhow, what do we have going this week? Uh, the Boogeyman. Oh. That is probably the big one. You never responded to me about several things while I was gone, including if you wanted to watch Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Is um, that a cartoon? Yes. No. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's actually kind of a, a slower week. Well, good, because I have a lot of things I need to do outside of this. Same, as always. But uh, yeah, so th- there's that. Do you have a quote for us? Are you reading a book? I'm reading Alien 3, the unproduced first draft screenplay by William Gibson, which was made into a novel by Pat Cadigan. Uh, And I'm reading that now because we are going to see a screening of that, of Alien 3. We are? Yeah. When? Bleak Week uh, at the Cinematheque, I think on June 6th. Oh, is that when we have tickets for that? Uh, so this was uh, William Gibson, who's a very notable screenwriter, had wrote the first pass uh, on Alien 3, and uh, it's been put turned into a novel form. So I was very curious to read it. I can't say that I love it, uh, if partially because William Gibson tried to put uh, Ellen Ripley in a coma. So it's kind of like Jamie Lee Curtis in uh, Halloween Kills, where it's like the best, the, the only real goddamn reason I want to watch this shit is for this woman. Uh, and, and maybe it's because Mr. Gibson didn't know how to really write such a heroic female mm. uh, for Alien 3. Anyway, but I, I should be, it's a very easy read. I should be done with that by the time we see that film. All right. Well, that's all I have. Okay. All done? Sure. Ta-ta. Ta-ta. <laughs>